great truth that is. It's still the blood. It always has been and always will be. Why don't you have your Bibles tonight? I want you to open with me, if you will, the book of Matthew, chapter 16. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. When you find verse number 13, would you stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word? We're going to read through verse number 19. I've been uh, doing some things on doctrine here on Sunday night, just what I've entitled actually in my notes, Sound Doctrine. And we've looked at several things. Uh, We've looked at the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of hell. We've looked at a number of things. And tonight we're going to look at something else. And so we'll pick up in verse number 13. And when Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 18. It is a text verse for tonight. And I want us to read that verse together. You ready? And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to try to at least begin a message tonight, or maybe a couple of messages on the church. The doctrine of the church. And it's very important we understand what it is and what God says it is. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come out and have this time. We can be together in thy house. We thank you, Lord. For the many blessings today, thank you for the good sweet spirit this morning in our services, the ones that were baptized, and Lord, just a good moving in our midst. Lord, we thank you for our children, and Lord, the good fellowship here tonight, the good singing, and now we've come to this portion of the service, and the bread of life has been broken, and I stand here once again before thy people in thy house, and I believe I have what you would have me to say tonight. And Father, as I stand here, I am also very well aware that I need you. So once again, I would ask you that you would forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me of anything that would be a hindrance for you using me this evening with the blood of Calvary. And Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power and help me. I might be able to preach in such a manner. Everyone that's listening would feel like this message is for them and them alone. Well, thank you and praise you for it all. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. There's an important thing here we begin to see what's going on in this particular text. The Lord Jesus Christ is, uh, for the first time, He is uh, uh, giving the disciples His plan for the church. And He tells them uh, what He is uh, going to do and what His plans are. Now, the church is what the Lord Jesus Christ instituted and started. It is not something that man came up with. And so it's very important if we're going to go forward, and as the church has went forward for 2,000 years, it is very, very important that we understand what it is and what Christ said it would be and, and what He desires out of it and the purpose of it. I, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, you know most of this is not known and not taught. Uh, I mean, I was saved in a, a good, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. But unfortunately, a lot of stuff I'm about to, to give you and a lot of stuff that I say here on a, on a pretty regular basis, I had to learn on my own. And um, I realized that it's um, times and what I'm 
going to say tonight and the things I'm going to say next couple of Sunday nights probably and talking about the church may seem a little, I don't know, a little technical. But the truth of the matter is it's important. It's important that we understand it. It's important. It's in the Word of God. So anything in the Word of God is important for us to grasp. It's important we teach it to the next generation. It's important that it continues. And the only way that can be done is if we draw attention to what the Word of God says about it. So I want you to pay attention to this text. This is the first time in the Bible that the word church is mentioned. It is mentioned over one, about 100 times the word church, churches, and anything, any derivative of the word church is mentioned about 100 times in your New Testament. And this is the first mention of that. It is a Greek word, ekklesia. It means a called out body of baptized believers. That's what it means. The, the ecclesia is a, a body, a group, a body of people that have been called out of the world and they have banded together. They've been baptized to prove that they have trusted the Lord. And so anytime you see the word church, it is referring back to a called out body of believers, actually a baptized body of believers. And that's very important. Um, it's not an assembly. Nothing wrong with an assembly, but that's not what the church is. It's not a gathering. Nothing wrong with a gathering. That's not what a church is. The, the church is a called out body of believers, a body of baptized believers. And so here in this text, we have the first mention. And uh, just throw something else out here for good measure. Now, when you're doing Bible study, and you find the first time a word is mentioned in the Bible, there's a law of, of study we call the law of first mention. And the first time it's mentioned, every time after that, that it's mentioned, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, will play into the first mention. So when you find the first mention of word, it's important to find out what it means, and what it's there for, what God is saying. It'll help you understand it every time it's mentioned thereafter. So this is the first mention of the word church. And so I want us to see what's taking place here tonight and understand what the Lord was doing and what he was saying to the disciples. So we go back to verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now I want you to notice there's two, two questions that Jesus is going to ask. The first question is, Who does the world say I am? Who do men say that I am? He has his disciples there. He has his followers, his students. And he says, who do, do men say, who does the world say that I am? And they begin to give an answer. And then they, they give the answer. And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And some Elias. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now, what are they doing? They're actually saying, well, this is what we've heard people say about you. Why, well, Herod thought, or... Uh, that he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. He had had John the Baptist beheaded because John the Baptist called him an adulterer, and he was. And said it wasn't right for him to be living the way he was living. It wasn't. And he had John beheaded. And then when Jesus uh, comes on the scene, he says, oh, no, it's John the Baptist, risen from the dead. He was nervous about it. And, and, and so there's people saying, well, he's a <coughs> Herod and those around Herod. What's John the Baptist, risen from the dead? He wasn't John the Baptist risen from the dead. He was Christ in the flesh. They said, well, he, he, he's Elijah. He's Elias. It's because he preached with power and authority. And uh, he's Jeremiah because Jeremiah is the weeping prophet and Jesus would look out over a city and weep over the city and say, he's, he's one of the prophets. <clears throat> now, what were they essentially saying if you roll it all into one thing? They were saying, this man is a man of God, he is a prophet. But bear this in mind, they were saying he is a man. Now that's important to understand. The one thing that all of them were saying is he is a man. He's, he's a, a prophet, he's a man of God, but the world was saying he is a man. 
You follow that. And he's saying he's a man just like everybody else. He's a man. And by the way, the world still says that today. <coughs> the world still is okay if you talk about Jesus as long as you lump him in with every other religious leader that ever lived. The world is okay today with you uplifting Christ as long as you put him side by side other what they call religious people. They're okay with that. But that's not who he is. And that's not what he was after. And so the world is always going to say and always has said that Jesus is a man. He is a religious prophet or preacher. But I want you to watch the next question because that's important that you and I be able to answer it. Verse 15. He saith unto him, but whom say ye that I am? Now the second question is addressed to the believers. He says, now the world says I'm a man. But who do you say I am? <clears throat> so it's important that as a called out body of believers, that our response to that be different than the world's response. I mean, if they ask some lost person who Jesus is, his response is probably going to be different than what your mind is. They ask the world, some political leader, some intellectual individual, who is Jesus? Their response should be and is different than our response. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so he asked him, he says, whom, say, whom do you say that I am? Now, <clears throat> verse 16 is, is a great answer. And we're going to spend some time on it here in a few minutes to come back to it because it's important. <clears throat> but Peter, now sometimes Peter, I like Peter. Peter's at least doing something. Every once in a while we talk about Peter. Well, Peter, Peter uh, sunk air walking on the water and got scared and sunk. Hey, he's the only one who jumped out of the boat. I, I like Peter. Peter. At least Peter's doing something. He's not sitting still. I mean, he tried to cut a guy's head off in the garden. Because, I mean, a lot of things he did. He got rebuked a lot, but at least he's doing something. But in this instance, he's, he hits the nail square on the head, so to speak. <clears throat> so when Jesus says, But whom say ye that I am? Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Now what a statement. Peter says, you're the Christ. You are God in the flesh. You are the Messiah. You are the answer to Isaiah 9. You are the virgin-born Son of God. You are the one that was prophesied all the way from Genesis 3 through Malachi. You are the Christ, Son of God. You are God in the flesh. Now that's very important. There's a huge difference between Peter's answer and what the world thinks Jesus is. <clears throat> There's a huge difference. He's saying you are God in the flesh. You are the one that has come to this earth to give us eternal life. You are the Christ. Now that's important. You and I ought to know that. <clears throat> Someone asked us tomorrow out in the world, you're on your job or out somewhere just in the world, and they say, who is Jesus? And you ought to answer that way. He is the Christ, Son of the living God. Now, it is the answer. He is the answer. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, notice what Jesus says about this. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Boy, it's the only time he's having that Jesus uses his full name 
and he commends him. He uplifts him for it. He said, you, you didn't get this in the flesh. You, you didn't get this from, uh, from human intellect. You only got this in a spiritual basis of God the Father revealing it to you. It's the only way you got it. But he knows, but it is the answer. And you and I ought to know who Jesus is. <coughs> we ought to know that he is God in the flesh. The Messiah, the Christ. Now, now once Jesus says that to him, that conversation could have been ended. But it's not. <coughs> once he answers <clears throat> the Lord answers that question. It could have been ended. But in verse 18, our text verse, he now lays out the plan for the church. <clears throat> this is the first time that Jesus is going to reveal his plan to the believers for the church. This called out body of believers. So notice again what it says. And I say also in the other Peter, he said, you're Peter. You're just a man. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, upon this rock, now I'm going to prove in just a few moments, I'm going to come back to that. It's not talking about Peter. Uh, I know the word Cephas means a pebble. But we're talking about a rock here. We're not talking about the same thing. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's making reference to what Peter said. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. And so Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon the truth that you just said. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, there's great truth in that. The church has great power. The church has a great position. And, and, and we ought to be going forward, not retreating. And we ought to be on the offensive, not the defensive. We, we've got a great God. And he says... And, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You say, preacher, you just don't know how bad society is. Listen, our society is in trouble, and there's no doubt about that. But we really don't hold a candle to the society that Jesus birthed the church into in the Roman Empire. As far as wickedness and evil is concerned. And, and, and we have the same God and we have the same power and the church is able to go forward the same way and should do it. But it's not us, it's Him. And I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then He says to them something else in verse 19. He says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says, You know what? I'm going to build my church and this church is at the ecclesia. It's a called out body of believers. And I'm going to give those believers, I'm going to give them something. The keys, the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, the only way into heaven is through the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the blood of Christ. You know who has that? The church. You, you know who has, uh, that he has promised to, to build the church and the church has the message and the church has what it needs and, and he's, we've been entrusted with his great Keys, entrance into heaven, how to get there, through Christ. And then he says something else. I'll give thee the keys and the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. He said, I guarantee you one thing. I'm going to give you great power. You have great, great power. The church has. And by the way, I'm not going to deal with it tonight, but I want to make a statement. <clears throat> if you read the book of Acts... We'll get to this, but not tonight. But I want to, I want to whet your, your curiosity on something. Your, we want to get you to thinking about something, studying something. If you begin to read the book of Acts, you'll see the church 
the plan of it here. You see it empowered in chapter 2. And you see the church go forward, growing and, and, and seeing great and mighty things happen. It turned the world upside down. Why was that? Because they knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they knew they had the keys of heaven. And they knew they had authority from Him to preach the truth. I think part of our problem is sometimes we're almost hoping we've got the answer. We do have the answer. I think sometimes we're just sort of hoping that we might be able to affect somebody. We have, the, we have a great God, and great promise. It's His church, not ours anyhow. And it is to go forth. Now, I mentioned something about verse 18. I want to go back and I want to prove to you that when he says, I say also in thee, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the rock is Jesus. Peter has made this great statement. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some have thought that he says, well, I'm going to build it on Peter. Well, Peter's not the founder of the church. Jesus is. <clears throat> the church is not built upon Peter. It's built upon Christ. It can't be built upon Peter. If it was built upon Peter, then it couldn't be Jesus' church. It would be Peter's church. The great truth in that. And Jesus did call Peter Cephas, which meant a pebble or a small stone. He says, I'm going to build it upon the rock. Now let me prove to you that's himself. All right, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11. I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now here you find a very clear explanation of who the foundation is. <clears throat> I mean, it's very clear. Paul says to the church at Corinth, there's only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, that's not a contradiction to Matthew 16. If, if Jesus is making reference to Peter, then we've got a problem. Because he said, there's no other foundation than Jesus Christ. There's not a problem because there's not a contradiction. Because in Matthew 16, the church is going to be built upon that testimony <coughs> that Jesus gave, or that Peter gave of Jesus, and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we come here and we find that the foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, go to Ephesians 2, we talked about this. Uh, last Sunday on our anniversary day and I won't rehash all that but we're going to look at Ephesians 2.20 again I want you to see something. <clears throat> now the church is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20 is another one of these very clear passages where that the church at Ephesus <clears throat> was being given this. Now watch what it says. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now we know he's the only foundation. He's going to build his church upon the rock. And here he is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock. Alright, so the church is... First of all, it's the Lord's because he said, for I will build my church, called out body of believers. I will build it upon the rock, the rock of himself, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So when we set that in order, we now see that the church is, it belongs to Jesus. 
It is His plan. He has His purpose for it. And He's the one that promotes it, protects it, and produces it. See this? And He's building it upon the rock of Himself. Now then, He's the head of it. Now that's a very important truth. Now you're in Ephesians. I want you to go to Colossians just a little bit over. Colossians 1. Now we're going to get a bit of a lengthy passage. And I want you to see something. So Jesus is building His church upon the rock of Himself. And He's the head of it. He's the head of the church. You're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now stop just a minute. I'm going to talk about these verses as we go through them. When Paul's given the church at Colossae, the church of Colossae, a great truth. He said, now we've been delivered from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. So we've been delivered in, we, we have been delivered from the control and power of Satan into the kingdom of Christ. Verse 14. And then we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It is through the blood of Christ that we're forgiven. It is his blood. It's his blood. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And so the only way that we know God is Jesus, is through Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Now he's the firstborn of every creature. Now what does that mean? Next verse, verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now there's a great verse. He created everything that we see. There is nothing that is here by accident or happenstance. He created it. Visible, invisible. Powers and thrones and dominions. He created it all. Now he created it for himself. Notice the last part of that verse. We're created by him and for him. That's an important truth. God didn't create me for me. God created me for himself. God didn't create you for you. He created you for himself. He has a specific purpose for every one of us in our lives. So now listen, he's building his church. Now don't lose sight of this. He's building his church. He's called, the church is a called out body of believers. It's built upon the rock of Christ. But he is the creator and he created us for him. All right now, next verse. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. You want to know how this universe is held together? Because Jesus holds it together. Uh, I tell you what, just a good study of the motion of the universe will teach you there has to be a God. If there wasn't a God, this thing would, would fall apart. The second law of thermodynamics says it'll fall apart. Everything is going from a state of order to a state of decay. That's what the second law of thermodynamics says. That's a, that's a, a law. <coughs> and this universe is, was part of that. If it wasn't for the Lord... All the rotation of all these planets and stars and meteorites and, and uh, uh, all these things, these comets and things, man, it would just implode upon itself. But he holds it together. He holds it together. Now watch verse 18. Verse 18 is the verse I was after. So you see our great God and who he is. He created it all. He's got it all under control and it's for himself. Now watch verse 18. And he is the head of the body church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence 
So I want you to notice verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. <coughs> so he's the head. Every once in a while somebody say, who's the head of the church? Jesus. Where do we get our authority? Christ. Where's our headquarters? Heaven. Now there's a truth in this. Now I need another couple of verses and I'm going to come back and elaborate on this man. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father <coughs> that in Him all fullness should dwell and having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him I say whether it be things in earth or things in heaven. And so now Jesus is the Christ that died for us. He is the rock upon which He has built His church. <coughs> Excuse me, He's still building the called out body of believers. He is the head of the body. Now that body is the church. And we'll go back to 1 Corinthians 12 in a minute and see that very clearly. But I want you to notice that He's the head. Uh, it is important that you and I understand that God, that Jesus created the church and He is the definite head of it. We, we are, and I think this is important too, I think it's important we understand what we are as a church. We are an independent Baptist church. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, that means that we don't have a headquarters here on earth. We don't have a worldwide headquarters. We've got a lot of sister churches and we... Uh, we cooperate with one another. We send missionaries around the world. We, as, as independent Baptists, we've got about 10,000 missionaries that we put on the field. That's the last figure I've seen. It's close. Ryan can probably tell me if it's exactly right or not, since that's what he does. But the truth of the matter is, that's, that's pretty accurate. <coughs> we, we cooperate in, in one another with... Uh, there'll be some of our churches that have colleges, and we'll promote that. The church owns the college. It's not owned by an organization. It's... It's a church that God feels that they feel like God wants them to have a college, like Crown College is there in Knoxville and Temple Baptist Church. It's not part of a quote unquote Baptist organization. It is under the umbrella of Temple Baptist Church. We we go to camp in Athens, Tennessee every year, and Brother Jared likes that camp. It's a good camp down there. That is a part of the church there in Athens. It's their church, it's their camp. Uh, we we help get the scripture we get, and most of it comes from Shelbyville. We get some from Mount Pisgah. The printing uh, ministry there in Shelbyville is, is under the authority of Victory Baptist Church. And one of Mount Pisgah is under uh, Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Oliver Springs. <coughs> now what I'm saying is, is those are independent churches, like ours. They're independent bodies of believers. There's no headquarters over all of us that tries to control what we do and what we don't do and what we believe and what we don't believe and what we use in our classes and, and, and nothing. It's independent. You know why? Because Christ is ahead. Now, I won't get into it tonight because I don't have near the time. But Jesus set this thing up. There's two ordinances and two officers, and we'll talk about that. And there's government inside each individual body. And we'll, that, that's important. It's in the Bible. But the head of the church is Jesus Christ. That's how come when we start to do something here, you know what we look to? We look to ourselves. We pray about it. This morning there was a couple here from Knoxville. And uh, I talked to them after service a little bit. Because I could tell they are pretty regular church members. And they said, yeah, we're members of Temple Baptist. I said, I know where Temple Baptist is at. And they said, our pastor just went to heaven. I said, I know he's my friend. And the man looked at me and said, we're praying. We're praying. God would give us the right man to be our pastor. And by the way, I want you to listen to what he just said. He didn't say, uh, we've contacted headquarters here somewhere in state and they're, they're going to give us a list of names. That's not what they're doing at all. It's a very large church. And they have, my goodness, the Temple Baptist Church has ministries literally all over the world. And uh, Dr. Sexton, God greatly used him to, to, to put those things all over, the, to lead that church, to put them all over the world. And you know what they're doing about who's going to take his place? And right inside that local church. The deacons of that church and the leadership of that church is praying and they're, they're seeking God's will. And you know, you know who will determine who pastors that church? Those people of that church. 
because it is a local body of believers. To use you a good Greek word, it's a, a local ekklesia. It is a called out body of believers. And its headquarters is in heaven and Jesus is the head of it. He's not been dethroned or demoted. He is the head. The great truth of that. And so once you come to one of the problems with a religious system, it has a earthly headquarters that controls all these other small churches. Is Number one, it's unscriptural. But number two, it begins to have human intelligence and human ingenuity controlling it rather than God, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen a couple of things tonight. It's important. <clears throat> we've seen who Jesus is and that He is building the church upon the rock of Himself and that He is the head of the church. Now then, we've said that each church is a, a local body. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, I want to give you a couple of things and come back to it to, or, or to explain that. Now, I want you to go first of all with me to Revelation chapter 1. I want to show you something. <coughs> and it's going to back up what I've already said, that Jesus is the head, but it's also going to, it's going to give this principle. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, the last two verses of the chapter. Now, Jesus is speaking to John here on the Isle of Patmos before he calls him up to heaven. And he's seen Jesus in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he says, Write the things which I have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks... Now, saw I started the seven churches. <clears throat> I want you to notice that Jesus makes it very clear each one of those churches is independent. And he is in the midst of those seven churches, and those seven churches answer to him. As a matter of fact, chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, there are individual messages for each church. And he doesn't tell Ephesus to correct Laodicea, nor Pergamos to go straighten out Laodicea. Each one of those churches is looking to him, and he is the head of it, and their local bodies of believers. Now, how are we bodies? And I'll be done with this point tonight. I'll pick up here next week, but I want you to notice this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, how is it that we're a body of believers tonight? If Christ is the head of the body, and he is, then how are we the body? How is every church in the world a body? How is that? It's just like what we've seen in Revelation, and right quick, like Jesus is the head, and he holds the candlesticks and the stars in his hands, He's in the midst of it, and they all answer to him, and he's looking at each one individually because he is God Almighty. He has that power, and he's built the church upon himself. But I want you to notice what he does inside every local body. You're in Revelation chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 by now. And I want to start reading in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now he's going to use an analogy that we'll understand very clearly. Each one of us not have a body, a fleshly body. And there's a lot of parts to our bodies. There's a lot of members to our bodies. And, and each one has its own job, and each one has its own purpose, and each one has its own significance. And he says, now that's the same way the church is. It's one body with a lot of members. Now, verse 13, great verse. For by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, 
whether we be bond or free and have been made to drink, have been all made to drink into one spirit. <coughs> the Holy Spirit of God places us into the body of Christ in the moment of salvation. So we're all part of the same body. It don't matter who we are, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, don't matter. We're all, we're all part, we're all equal, we're all members of the same body. All right, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Now watch what he says about the body. This is a great illustration. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? Now, by the way, if your foot said, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm not the hand. and I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm just going to do my own thing. You'd have a lot of problems. Uh, they're going to have to work together. Now, keep, keep watching the analogy. Verse uh, 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is therefore not of the body. <coughs> he says, you know what? You've you, you got to hear and you've got to see. And both those are part of your body. They're members of your body and they're necessary. Keep reading. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? Now you're introduced to something else. He's talking about the senses. You see, you and I have got a body, and, and more than all this body, we have all these different members, and they all have their purpose, and they all have their place. And, and, and there ought to be no schism in it. Next verse. But now if God set the members, every one in them in body, as hath pleased him, he says, now, now, now God has made your body the way it is. And God's done the same thing with the church. You see, Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And so he's placing in the church, in the body, the members that need to be there. Verse 19. And if we're all one member, where were the body? If everybody does the same thing, where's the body at? But now are there many members yet one body? A church ought to grow, and there ought to be many members, but there's one local body of believers. And we, we by the way, keep reading, verse uh, 21. <clears throat> and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which you think to be less honorable upon these we stow more abundant honor, for our, our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor unto that part which lacketh. And there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. Now I want to stop this now. I've read several verses. <clears throat> I want you to notice he says, now listen, every, every one of these members of your body has a purpose and so is with the church. Do, do you understand that there's a lot of things that goes on inside any church as it grows and, and matures and gets what God wants it to, that there's a lot of members and, and it, that they all do not do the same thing? Now, I, I tell you, I, I, I had a, a scriptural understanding of this 35 years ago when we started the church. But I can tell you, after I've pastored for 35 years, this passage of Scripture is a lot more clear to me now than it's ever been. I mean, God's been good to our church. And there's a lot of things that goes on around here. Uh, you're, you're, we're in this auditorium, and, and if you come in here and this is where you stay, then you really don't see all the other members and what God's put on their world. I mean, uh, do, do you recognize for you to be able to <coughs> come in here and by the time the service starts and get seated, somebody had to make sure that the heat was on or the air was on. You don't cool this building down in 10 minutes. You don't heat it up in 10 minutes. As a matter of fact, in order for this auditorium to have any type of similarity of, of uh, comfort, it's got to be done 24 hours earlier or it won't work. Somebody did that. Somebody did that. He said, well, I don't ever see them. They're doing it. If they don't do it, you'd see it. 
I feel like it's my, my job to make sure that's done. A couple of times over the years, we've something's gotten out of whack and it didn't done. People come in here, especially in the summer, and say, man, it's hot in here. Why ain't the air on? It is on. It just wasn't on early enough. Now, you know what? It's important that whoever turns that on turns that on. You come in here and the doors are open. Bathrooms are clean. How do you think that happened? You think that happened by itself? You, you, you walk in after, just take a little stroll after the service around. Look how things look. They won't look that way the next time you come here. You know how important that is? You know how important it is to walk in somebody open door and smile at you and greet you and speak to you? You understand what I'm trying to say? Those are important things. You don't think about them, but they're there. <coughs> hey, listen, we got little kids here tonight. There are some people that get combat pay in heaven. They're called nursery workers. They are needed. <laughs> Do you understand that? And then we got some folks up there that's teaching some two and three year old classes, and those folks are hardened soldiers. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Unneeded, that is. Hey, we got a children's church back here. We got some folks teaching them on their level. By the way, trying to teach them some of this stuff. Do you know how important that is? You never see that. Every, every time these services going on, you got Brother Larry or somebody up here leading music, and there's somebody over here playing the piano. And, you, th you think all that stuff just happens at the spur of the moment when they walk in here? And we've got things that's, that's going on. We'll have a visitation on Tuesday. There'll be somebody prepare something to eat back there. There'll be visitation things ready for you to go out and talk to people. How'd that happen? And by the way, there are some people that, hey, God's called them to the nursing home ministry, and that's what they do. You don't, don't you know how important that is? We got people that go into our, our jail up here and try to deal with people. People goes into hospitals and you say, Preacher, I never seen none of that. What well, does happen in here? We got a Bible shop down here and made a little over a quarter million scriptures last year and send them missionaries. <coughs> How do you think that got done? Well, there were some members that that's where their work's at, and they go down there and they make Bibles and they put them together and load <laughs> listen, we're about to load a truck here sometime this week with several thousand New Testaments and get them shipped out of here. Somebody's got to load that truck. And what I'm trying to say is there's all kinds of things that goes on. It's part of the church. Not everybody does the same thing. Not, not everybody's going to sing the choir, but the choir's important. Do you know how important that is? I told you a while ago, that I, I told the choir, I told them to sing. You may or may not heard it in <coughs> that last song because I was going to sing with them. And they need to sing loud. The reason God called me to preach is keep me out of the choir. Because I can't sing and I know it. So it doesn't embarrass me to sing because I know I can't sing. So I have no expectation of thinking it's good. So therefore I just enjoy doing it. So I just do it. Do you understand what I just said? So the choir has to sing loud. But hey, I'm glad some people can sing. And they should. There's all of these parts and God puts you here for a purpose. God's got you here for a purpose. There are teachers and helpers and there are van drivers that go out and pick people up and bring them back in. There are things that go on. It's all part of one body. <coughs> Next week we'll get into the, the offices and the ordinances, what God says they are. But suffice it to say tonight that it is important that we understand we're part of the body. And we must go forward. So Jesus says to Peter, Upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of it. I'm going to take care of it. I want you to know you're built on me. I'm the head. You're the body. You follow me. And tonight God is... I'm thankful that God has built, raised up a body of believers here in this part of the world. I say that often. He's raised up a body of believers in this part of the world of like mind and like faith. And we're all members. Not everybody does the same thing. 
Not everybody should do the same thing. If everybody did the same thing, all these other things couldn't take place. You have to be burdened for what you're doing. <coughs> By the way, I haven't touched everything that goes on around here. There's a lot of other things that goes on. Because there's a lot of parts in our bodies. And when they're working properly, there's no schism. I'm getting old enough now that some of my body, my natural body, don't work together. There's some schism. I've got some parts in my body that have failed me. Boy, church should never do that. It ought to, as members graduate to heaven, there ought to be younger members taking their place. And it ought to be healthy and active and going forward, and it should never die. There's great truth in that. And so tonight we're part of the body. And Christ is ahead. And we're built upon Him. And you know the purpose of it? It's not so that we can say, look at our church. It is the purpose that men, women, boys, and girls are going to hell. And it's our job. We have the keys of heaven. is to give them the gospel to see them saved. And everything that we do around here, in some shape, form, or fashion, is trying to point people to the fact that they need Jesus because He died for them. And He will save them if they will trust Him. And that is the purpose of what we do. Now I'm going to pick up here next week. I hope you come back. We need to know what the church is. Where it come from. Who's over it. Where it's going. What we should be doing. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Appreciate you being here tonight. <coughs> I'm going to give you an invitation. The invitation is like this. Maybe here tonight and say, Preacher, I've never been saved. If I died right now, I don't know I'll go to heaven. You ought to get up out of that seat and come to one of these altars. Let one of our personal workers take a Bible and show you how to be saved. You're going to say, Preacher, I'm saved. Maybe you've not been baptized yet. Boy, we baptized a couple this morning. Remember, you need to just come and say, I need to be baptized. Maybe you're here and you want to join this church. We'll accept you by letter, by statement, or by baptism. Maybe there's some burden, something you need to pray about today. These altars are open. Father.